talk about holding up those that initial like two two hour whatevers that is that is good stuff i there's still stuff they do there that's like i'm amazed by how forward thinking they were like why does the whole show have a retro aesthetic oh because we're at war with like crazy robots that can hack anything so no we still it's like everything looks like spaceships run on 1950s technology because we're fighting sentient computers yeah, and and because we are earnestly talking about our appreciation for Battlestar Galactica, I and suppose. Oh, I managed. To, we managed to steer it away from Attack on Titan. Thank fucking God. Oh come on! Uh, and and Kyle's chagrin uh, leads me to believe we must be recording episode of the Big Bang Theory. Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to the show where a couple of nerds embrace certain nerdy things and are real gatekeepy about other things. And claim to be the nerds that can tell you how nerds really are, unlike the nerds on this show, who can't possibly be real nerds. Uh, and I still think that holds true. I worry sometimes, like, what, how ridiculous the premise of our show is that we are two more or less normal nerd-type people, and that we are acting as if we have some sort of, not sixth sense, but like like a smell test for what a real nerd is. Like, if we were out in public, walking the streets, looking to the left and right, you know, in a time when you were still allowed to, like, be within six feet of each other, that we, we would be able to, to uh, find a, a false a false test and point and shout and, and chase them out of town, you know, chase them back to their, uh, their, their social group where they're accepted for, I don't know, not having really silly gigantic backlogs of useless information about cartoons in their minds oh well, okay let let me uh let me reframe it then because i don't think we're particularly gatekeepy you know we are very judgmental on the people on the show but in our defense the people on the show are terrible to each other and in real life it would be terrible to have to deal with them so it could be less that the show portrays bad nerds, and what we are slowly coming to discover is that the show just portrays people. It's not even. It's not so much these are people who do not behave like real nerds would behave. I think it it does not. They don't behave like real human beings who are deserving of any kind of love or respect would behave. Well, speaking of bad behavior, I think that's a good segue into the actual episode. Today we watch Which, just before you talk about what this episode is about, let me just say that this episode had one of the single biggest fuck yous to anybody who actually watches the show regularly of any television series I can think of. And it almost drove me crazy. And then I came back down and I remembered it's the Big Bang Theory. Who fucking cares? But I really, at one point, I shot through the roof on this one. So This blows my mind. Okay. I'm excited to hear what about what this is all about. So I'm going to do my quick... It's You're probably not going to be that on board with me on this. but Probably yeah. not, because I, I did not get nearly so triggered when watching the episode. But I want that to be point number one after I do, after I do the quick episode summary and so for today's summary uh we watched uh season four episode 14 officially titled the thespian catalyst which uh has to deal directly with our a plot which the shortest version today is we do have a standard a plot and a b plot the cold open 
is that Sheldon is giving a lecture at the university, presumably Caltech. It doesn't really matter, I guess. And he thinks he is hilarious and clever and blowing everyone's minds. Uh, but everyone in the lecture that we're, we're watching is very obviously disinterested. And the rest of the nerds are back home in the apartment uh, looking at social media responses to the lecture and taking great pleasure in, in, in Sheldon being awful and how everyone thinks he's a, a total dud and he made an already he made an, uh, an already boring subject incredibly excruciating and so they're all laughing giddily about that Sheldon comes home he is satisfied beyond satisfied he he is overjoyed that his his lecture went so well they they point out the reviews to him he gets very sad and and wanders into his room and then from here we have two Splits of the episode, a plot is that Amy Farrah Fowler suggests that Sheldon uh, learn how to be more sociable and suggests he take acting lessons. He goes to Penny for those acting lessons. Penny does indeed give him – they they do some improv together. They do some scene study, and this ends up ultimately unlocking something within Sheldon where he has a a breakdown in front of Penny – about how no one understands him and he feels small and afraid because everyone he's just smarter than everyone and he can't help it and why mommy why and he has a breakthrough and then the b plot um i don't remember the trigger for this but there is the suggestion or the question that raj might be gay and he doesn't really confront it because he spends the entire episode through three or four fantasy sequences thinking about how badly he wants to bone Bernadette. And so he keeps having these these fantasies in the middle of conversations where Bernadette and Wallowitz will approach him and Wallowitz will somehow become indisposed and unavailable and say, well, uh, Raj, I need you to take care of Bernadette's sexual needs. And this ends with a, a big song and dance Bollywood sequence of Raj and Bernadette uh, becoming uh, lovers, and that's that's the short summary. Uh, and of course, we're going to get deeper into it. But before we pick apart any other thing that happened, what's your issue with it? I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna give my big reveal, and then you're gonna tear it apart. Which is, I genuinely enjoyed this episode. I thought this was a much above average Big Bang Theory episode. No, I your I en- I enjoyed it too. Um, I even thought it was uh, like hey, there were it wasn't. So there's such a low bar for me for the Big Bang Theory now. There were no, there were very few moments I thought were genuinely funny, but at least it was interesting. Like throughout the episode, it kept my interest. You know, the dynamic between Sheldon and Penny when he's taking acting lessons was interesting. Raj's fantasies, predictable but classic and interesting. So here's my here's oh I remember because they're talking about how I'll set the scene for you. Sheldon is like. They're like they're at the the fake. Where does Penny work? It's not actually, but it's the called the Cheesecake a, Factory. The Cheesecake Factory. Thank you. And they're like, oh, Sheldon's still upset, and he's not coming to dinner with us. And and they're like, yeah, he didn't even want to give the stupid lecture, but now that he knows people didn't like it, he's really upset. Which is actually an excellent point that I was going to raise here. So it was interesting to hear the show bring it up first. Wait, and what then, was the interesting point that he wasn't there because he was upset? No, it's that he was, like, 
this is an interesting thing about Sheldon's whole psychology, right? Because he obviously didn't want to give the lecture, and he spends the entire time not trying to do, like, the, the little bit we see of him giving the lecture, he's basically just insulting the intelligence of the audience the entire time, which is not surprising because that's how Sheldon interacts with every single person. Mm-hmm. But then, when he finds out they didn't actually like it and him, it hurts his feelings. And so, it's like, that's the that's sort of an interesting question about Sheldon's character, is or an interesting thing, is that... He, and this is not that unrealistic, but it is, it's just, you know, it's in many ways, it's one of the more nuanced things about Sheldon's character, and it's interesting to see the show acknowledge it, which is that he makes no attempts to be likable whatsoever, and yet it still, it still hurts his feelings that people don't like him. We don't actually, in a lot of situations where he's being a jerk, and people are like, you know, man, we're really, like, in other episodes, they've literally said, boy, you know, if we could figure out a way to legally murder you and get away with it, wouldn't that be kind of fun for all of the rest of us to do? And Sheldon is just standing there, and he's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. But this time we see it affect him, which was just an interesting thing for the show to introduce, that Sheldon cares what other people think. That's not that's neither here nor there. I was just raising that. Raj compares it to, yeah, it's like when you accidentally go into a gay bar and then no one hits on you. That was the trigger. Okay, I couldn't remember that, but sorry, go ahead. And everybody looks at him weird, like that's not a thing that could ever possibly happen, but... You know, I didn't. I both thought it was an apt metaphor and something I could see someone accidentally doing, but um, and and see someone feeling like, oh, I didn't mean to be in this gay bar, but now that I am in this gay bar, I kind of sucks that no one's checking me out. But anyway, so then Bernadette walks up, and she's like, "What are you all talking about?" And Wallowitz says, "Well." I think we need to, uh, we're either, it's like, uh, Raj may be gay or we really, really need to get him a girlfriend. To which Bernadette replies, Oh, I don't think it should be that hard. You're such a catch, Raj. And Raj, I swear to fucking God, I lost my mind. Do you turns remember? To her, <laughs> Do you remember when I said we need to get you within the volume peaks and now you are screaming into your microphone? But continue. This is good. I just. <laughs> well, you killed my momentum now. I don't want to talk I'm, I'm about glad. it anymore. So, Raj swear said, okay, I feel like I know where you're going and I'm going to respond, but Raj, swear to God, does what, Kyle? <laughs> he turns to Bernadette and he's like, thank you, Bernadette. That's so nice of you to say. And he makes eye contact with her and he talks to her and somehow like they end up talking about what kind of dog Raj would be if Raj were a dog and he says Labradoodle and... They have a whole conversation. Now, what is one of the only things that we know? What is one of the only things that we know about Raj's character? What is literally like the one established fact other than that he's Indian that we have ever known about Raj's character? Kyle, I knew this was building up to this. And the, the thing that you're about, you want me to say is that Raj cannot speak to women. And that I believe is still true. But what, I, what you, uh, the, the apt viewer will notice as I did, is that for whatever reason, I even question whether they were really in the Cheesecake Factory for a moment because everyone is drinking alcohol in a much more bar-like environment. And I think the writers were like, well, for this episode, we do need Raj and Bernadette to have this interaction. So I guess we'll throw a couple beers in there. And that way, later on, the, the IMDb goof army 
will will ease up on us a bit. But you are right. Like the way that he so casually addresses her and they chat back and forth as if they are two normal human beings is contrary to to Raj 99% of the time. And he is not so drunk or asshole-ish during this scene as to suggest that he is in his I-can-talk-to-women comfort zone. Instead, he's like, oh, yeah, you're just one of the guys for now, Bernadette. And that is, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. I don't yeah. care. There is the there is the alcohol present, but I just don't think it's enough. He's either drunk or he's not, and he's not drunk. So yeah, thank you. It's uh, one of there's there's one of three. Like you said, it's possible that he's drunk, but if he's drunk, he's not behaving like we've been conditioned to be that he's drunk. Or it's possible this was the other possibility that the show that we know that none are basically none of the other scenes that take place between Raj and Bernadette in this episode are actually real. So it's possible this is actually the beginning of his fantasy and it's all in his head. But there's no actual indication that that's what's going on either. The most straightforward Occam's Razor explanation is that somehow Raj is just forgets in this episode. I, I, I put that forward, he can't talk to Bernadette. I put forward hypothesis three, which is that maybe uh, his issue with speaking to women. I mean, but almost by definition, it has to be. But like the idea that the alcohol in any way helps him, maybe it's just a placebo for like a psychosomatic issue. It's not that he has to be drunk. It's that he just has to be drinking. He has to have a drink of something. And again, that doesn't hold up. But it, I mean, what is the issue with like, wh- where is the line for Raj on a spectrum of I'm terrified of this person and can't utter a sound to I'm a, I'm a horny asshole that's going to, to sloppily hit on this woman. How much alcohol must he drink before he crosses that barrier? Is it he gets a little tipsy and then maybe he can start mumbling? Is it that he, he's pretty solidly drunk and then it's like a, a, a hard switch from from silent to sloppy? What, where, how does this work? Well, we, you're right that we don't know. But as you pointed out earlier, every single other time that he has been talking – well, the show has slipped up before. But usually in the episodes where they bring your attention to this, he is – pretty sloppy drunk by the time he is comfortable talking to a woman every Although, single time before this yes, <laughs> yes. You, you are still correct i'm just trying to think because it was if, it, it doesn't know, add up no if they were going to explore it it would have been fine but it's like they make no acknowledgement of what's going on oh, whatsoever oh, new theory new theory new theory okay question is that that starts this whole issue where, where bernadette chimes in is is raj gay based on example that Raj has about going to gay bar, not getting hit on. Does Raj see Bernadette as more masculine and is more comfortable with her for some reason? Uh, he- I, I consider that too. Is the is Bernadette some kind of special exception to the rule? But... Fuck me for remembering this. In the last episode, there is an entire joke. It's not a good joke, but there's a joke when Raj is riding in the car with Bernadette and Wallowitz to the 
science fair, Raj does not talk the entire time he is in the back seat. And the one time he wants to tell Bernadette something, he has to text Leonard, who then has to call Bernadette and tell Bernadette the thing that Raj wanted her to know. Okay, and then opposite question, not directly dealing with Bernadette, but so if we're asking what well, I am asking, <laughs> what's the basis for Roger's discomfort with women? My assumption has always been not just a strict, you know, like abstract, they're the opposite gender and that makes me uncomfortable kind of thing. No, he has but, to want to have sex with them. Exactly. And so is it only because he has a sexual interest or is it the the bigger question of just of of, of sexual interest? In, okay, what I'm getting to is if a gay man hits on Raj, does he go silent, or is he still a, a, a functioning, capable human when someone that is not obviously a woman shows sexual interest in him? Well, now that's a fair question. I don't think we have enough data to determine that one. Not yet, but- no. I'm just saying, it is weird that he spends this whole episode sexually fantasizing about Bernadette, and the way they choose to kick that off is by him having just a normal conversation with her. It is pretty whack. It's just like, come on, guys, have some respect for your own... I realize that me getting bent out of shape over this is, like, like the. I'm sure if I, like, confronted a writer on the street about this, he would laugh in my face that I even cared enough to, like, keep track of, like, to, like, trying to figure out the rules to how Raj is supposed to work in the show mm-hmm. is a sign that I have already, like, lost some, some important, some important game, some important place in society. But god damn it, it's just so so frustrating. Well well speaking of the 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 Raj sexual interest in Bernadette, because like, you know, Sheldon taking acting classes for Penny is cool. I'm glad that Penny as an actress actually finally comes to have some sort of meaning within the show, because we complained about oh, I complained about it, and then we, we both griped about it recently, how it's just not brought up often. And now finally, it's in the forefront. It's like Penny is an actress. Penny's acting skills have a purpose. And I like that that's in the episode. I, I don't give a shit, though, because I'm so focused on the horny possibilities with Bernadette. And, I mean, one could say this stems from my own interest in Bernadette, and they would absolutely be correct. Um, because there's a line that I think they're like the, the writers were like, you know, Nick Hyde is our target demographic. I know the exact line I bet. I bet, <laughs> oh, I bet I'm like sure $100 you do. I know what the line and, is. But and even, even though we know he has no interest in the show, someday when he gets around to it and he wants to speak to the public about it, we, we want to make sure that we're speaking directly to him. And that's in, in fantasy number one um, where Wallowitz and Bernadette approach Raj and Wallowitz is like, Oh hey, we're I gotta fuck off to wherever for I don't know education. I honestly don't remember. He has to leave to go to a, to a school in an institute in Israel for two years. Right, and so uh, and it's like, oh, well, I'm gonna need someone to to look after Bernadette. And when I say look after, I do mean her sexual needs, and her sexual needs are. And Bernadette pipes in to say, most of them regular, some of them kind of messed up. And Raj is like, oh. <laughs> And oh my heart, my, my oh how it how it yeah. palpitated. Yeah, but, I, I I I was when that line. I just imagined you leading in, being like, "Say 
more, Bernadette. <laughs> I, I like that that's all. It, but, you know, it's not just – first, I was excited because that's – I think that's the first fantasy. And so it's not clear that it's a fantasy as it's happening other than how bizarre the conversation is. Um, and then it does it, – it obviously is a fantasy. But it's not – that Bernadette is necessarily into any weird stuff, but Raj really hopes she is. And so what is Raj's deal? What does he need Bernadette to need? Um, but also I, I, a, a bigger question, only kind of semi-related, honestly, is why makes Bernadette a nerd other than the fact that she has advanced degree in nerdy interests? Because like something that is very characteristic of the other nerds is bizarre personal habits and a lack of general uh, social ease. Bernadette doesn't have it. Bernadette, uh, it's, it's occasionally mentioned in previous episodes. She has friends. She likes, she likes to get loose and party. She just happens to love microorganisms, but like she seems like a totally sociable, like, we don't even know what nerdy interests she has outside of her specific field. She's not like the other nerds where she's like, mm, Star Trek is something enough people will know to recognize me as a nerd. And so I better show an obvious interest in that. Like, she, I don't know. And maybe that's why I like her so much is she does seem to me like maybe the the, the most believable of the nerds. I don't know. But it's just, I think this episode nailed it for me some reason that Bernadette I'm not saying that she isn't nerdy, but that she doesn't have these these antisocial traits that are so characteristic of the other nerds. Yeah, no, I think that's that's uh, totally fair. She's just sort of like a normal. She's just a very smart, normal person. Other than, I mean, she does like. I can see like her love of biological weapons is probably. In real life, if someone, I mean, it's a different kind of, it's, you're right, it's not like being in the Star Trek. But the, what, the stuff that she does that I can see coming off as socially awkward is always the stuff where she's like, oh yeah, and then, you know, wouldn't it just be fun to invent a new type of smallpox that was much more effective than the current brand of smallpox? I bet I could do that. But yeah, I guess it's, I mean, well then, I, I will continue to believe that that is a positive trait that, her brand of nerdiness, I think, is also more realistic in that it's not an obvious like affectation so much. She, you know, the other the other nerd. You know what else is weird? Now that you're pulling on the string, because I hadn't really thought about it. But Bernadette works at the school or something. She has at least enough advanced degree that she can be associated with. Like she, no, she. She is at the school. She goes to the school, right? Like yeah, she's associated. I I don't know. I mean, she does, she absolutely has an advanced degree. I don't know if she's clearly done anything at Caltech yet. No, they because they've done lab work. Like she taught. Remember there was that right. whole issue where she's like, I you they, know they were taking shots out of petri dishes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, she does lab work, but for whatever reason, she still has to have a job at the cheesecake factory. None of the other nerds need jobs other than the university. But she somehow still needs the job both at the school and at the Cheesecake Factory. Why? Maybe she loves cheesecake. Like, I'm not trying to shame her. I'm just saying that... No, I'm not not saying you are, but I'm trying to answer the question. And I think, I don't know, maybe she loves cheesecake. (laughs) Maybe Maybe she works like one shift a week. Maybe that's the messed up sexual thing she's into. Oh. 
don't suggest that, Kyle. I can't continue the episode. <laughs> <laughs> If, if 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 I'm into some sort of babe that's like my my whole sex thing is cheesecake, like I love cheesecake. I don't love cheesecake, but I'm willing to get a lot more interested in cheesecake. <laughs> you know, it's weird to me though. People who don't like cheesecake, that, mm, what the what the what the fuck? I like it. It's not my favorite. Doesn't have to be your favorite, but people are like cheesecake, not for me. You know who's not for me? Those people. I just don't un- ah. All right, I'm not. I'm just gonna let it go. It's just. You know, it's similarly, and I, I hope that I don't over-include you or you get mad at me with, like, people who don't like Halloween when someone's like, just another day. I'm like, mm. that That's, I don't know. It's, to me, an atheist, I imagine that is what it must be like to be a devout Christian and hear someone doesn't believe in God. Like, I don't devote myself to Halloween. It's not like a religion. But at the same time, when someone's like, I don't like Halloween, it's, it's I don't see what the big deal is about Halloween. I'm like, oh, oh, don't you let me provide you extensive literature on why you are not having a good time unless you accept into your heart pumpkins and, and candy. It's just cheesecake, Halloween. What, what are other lines in the sand? I don't know. I was going to uh... say. No, go ahead. I, I think that's it for me. I don't know. Maybe I'll think of a third one. But hey, anyone out there, if you want to be friends with me, know you got to love those things, or at least hide that you don't love them. Fair enough. I guess we should spend a little bit of time talking about the acting thing. Yeah, I have a very specific note on it that has less to do with the show itself. Than I'll just, I'll just, I'll just start. Is that um, so? They they do Penny and Sheldon. For their first lesson, first uh, Penny is like, oh, just move your body however feels natural. And so Sheldon just stands perfectly still, and he's like, this is natural. And I'm like, Sheldon, I'm with you all the way. That's is someone who has taken some acting classes and done some acting. The whole, like, just express yourself through emotion, let your body do what it wants. Every time I'm like, no, thanks. This is – I'm good. You're you're out of your mind. I'm good. Uh, but the, the thing that I was more on Penny's side with is – the, the lesson then goes on to some real basic improv. And one of the fundamental rules of doing improv is that you're, you're generally supposed to say yes to whatever the other person you're playing with is doing. And, and the reason for that goes beyond some sort of weird improv philosophy. It's more to do because if, if someone offers you something and you, you turn it down, you're, you're basically like, killing the scene or, or taking the scene in your own direction and leaving that person hanging. And so you're always saying yes, because you're building off each other. You go and go and go. But I have a real hard time with that. And this is going to express my own nerdiness too much. And in my own current Dungeons and Dragons game, because I feel like I am put in a lot of yes and situations where my character would not yes and. And then I feel like I'm being a real a real sourpuss when I'm like, Oh yeah, sure. I get what you're trying to do. I know that you want me to interact with this townsperson, but hunk the sex gladiator has no interest in this townsperson. And I'm not trying to shit on what you're trying to do here, but hunk wants to just go and fight and fuck and doesn't have any interest in whatever this guy's selling. Okay. Yeah. As a point of D and D, I mean, I've noticed 
because I've played some role playing games with you. I've noticed you do this. You create and you create. Uh, your characters are basically all autistic, just in different ways. What the fuck? <laughs> you create hyper focused characters who are only interested. You're like, I'm going to define this character by he loves two things, and everything else he is going to be completely dismissive of. And yet somehow I still expect to have like a collaborative role playing experience with other people who have put aside time and effort to enjoy this thing with me. I'm trying to be true to the nature of the, the, the imagination we've created. And if my sex gladiator is walking through the, the, the town and someone hands him a pamphlet, well, guess what? It's already been established that Hunk, that's his name, can't read. So what's he going to do with that pamphlet? Maybe he could take it to someone else to translate for him. But Hunk isn't going to break character and and pretend to understand common just for the sake of smooth role-playing. That's not who Hunk is. You could just say, hey, sorry, I don't read. What's the pamphlet say? (sighs) I suppose. I mean, just say, why would you create a character whose whose soul-driving motivations were dead-ended in such a way? Make your characters open-ended, man. Don't be a dick. I'm not trying to be a dick. But Hunk, no, I, but he, was, do, he, was, he was raised in the arena. I'm he knows you, two things. I, I also remember Moody, guy who only wants to sit and work on his robot arm no matter what else is going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he loved that robot arm. <laughs> it's like I'm, there's a whole mystery in the town, and you're like, nope, fucking robot arm. You see, you are- <laughs> if anything, I'm too good at role-playing, I think is the problem I'm picking up on. I think that's what's really going on here. Uh, yes. Um, All right. I did I did think that uh, the way – like uh, what do you think is – it's probably, again, it's dumb of me to focus on. But so in that improv scene, Penny establishes that they're in a shoe store. You would have to be like incredibly dumb to not know – that Penny was trying to be like, we're in a shoe store. And so when Sheldon comes in and he's like, I want to buy frozen yogurt, is is it is he really just so bad at reading the social cues or does he just not care about the rules of improv, do you think? Well, I'm 100% positive he doesn't care about the rules of improv. That's, that's I think that is goes without saying. And the social cues, I think, is part of it. But I think he just, <laughs> he can't imagine... Anyone who, if if he had anything he could do with his day out in the world, wouldn't be in search of frozen yogurt, I guess. And what's more, not frustrating, I guess, but is that, is that um, you know, the whole not negating premises and things like that, is that I have absolutely known real people who will so badly want the scene to be about the frozen yogurt that they will do that. Oh yeah. Those people, those people are fucking monsters. Yeah. They're real and they are infuriating, but yeah, I don't like, I don't expect, I, I, I don't think it's particularly realistic, but as far as who Sheldon is up to this point, I think it's in, I think it makes sense. It's Sheldon doesn't know how to play with others. And I don't think he knows how to give in to anyone else's. I mean, even later when they do the, the scene study, Sheldon brings his own scene he'd, he'd, he'd written, which in, involves um, himself, his mother, and, and Spock. And when, when Penny says that she, she'll play Spock, Sheldon like freezes up 
and then just expresses himself through facial twitches, because I think that is so impossible for him to imagine. So I think just like how Sheldon in the real world believes there is a certain right way to do everything, and that's his way, when it comes to imagination and creativity, it's the exact same thing. It's like, no, it's I, I had it right. You, whatever you're thinking, whatever seems fun to you, you get on board. And so, yeah, that's that's what I think happened. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, although it's worth noting, he does agree to let her play Spock. That was actually one of the other than the crazy fantasies. I thought that was when the episode was the most fun. Was uh, Penny doing her Spock impression and Sheldon doing his own mother um, mm-hmm. in a scene? By the way, I think you know. I don't have much experience. I'm not sure, like, what would make a bad... To be honest, I don't know what a bad acting class would... That's not true. I can act, I can absolutely imagine an insufferable acting class. But my point is, Penny's acting class, seemed, she seems like not a bad acting coach, acting teacher, whatever. Like, that would not... Yeah, I would and, not hate spending the day that way. And that was a nice, refreshing thing that I don't think I appreciated when watching the episode. But now that, that you mention it... It's nice to see Penny have value. (laughs) (laughs) Contribute to the plot as more than like, hey, is someone going to fuck her or what? Yeah, exactly. Like she showed like finally this this thing that has been just brushed under the rug for so long that they're they're addressing. It's like not only because there are we, we talked about this a little recently about L.A. type people your your actor who hasn't done an audition in a dozen years yeah and i we, think we really dunked on our own friends and associates we, we sure did and i think it would be pretty easy to have penny be one of those people where the the acting lesson is so off the walls and it becomes clear immediately that penny is a terrible actor and that her dreams are absurd in that she is like thoroughly a joke character and they don't do that instead it's like oh hey she has some idea what she's doing <laughs> like this is even though it's just basic stuff that the, the the acting class she gives is not in and of itself a joke sheldon's inability to play along is but i think you're absolutely right and like yeah she seems to know what she's doing and it's nice yeah. Hopefully it becomes more of a thing throughout the the, the, the series. Probably not. I, w- I, I, w- I will say there is – if you've ever well, – I, I started to say I feel like Friends had this problem with Joey a lot, which is they wanted to establish that Joey was a good actor. But for some reason, Matt LeBlanc, who is an actual actor, could never sell it. But I also think you sometimes have the opposite problem where they ask good actors to play like bad actors on TV. And that's like one of the few hard things for them to do because it's their whole. My point is like uh, Kaylee Kuoko playing Penny is obviously both a good looking, charismatic, like skilled actor. So I wonder if she could like conceivably play realistically a really bad actor it would be interesting but i think you're right it's good that the show didn't try and it it was also good to be honest again it's not one of those things that i expect they'll well this actually isn't true because this is basically the whole point of like how you eventually get to young sheldon which i don't think either of us have ever watched a single episode of but like basically the whole script that they are doing in the scene is fan fiction, self-insert fan fiction, a very yes. specific and very real type of fan fiction where, um, where basically like 
Sheldon is longing to be taken away from his his shitty, you know, rural Texas life, you know, and taken by his heroes into a world that makes sense to him, the world of Star Trek, where he's appreciated for, you know, his scientific accomplishments. And I do kind of wonder if you can sort of work your way backwards to that, to the conundrum you get at the start of the episode, which is here we see, as a boy at least, Sheldon was someone who still wanted to communicate with other people and and find an audience and find appreciation. But it's so obvious from from the from the playing it out that like every single time he tries to talk to someone about the things that interest him or about like every time basically he makes an effort you can imagine as a young kid in south texas he got horribly bullied and shot down yeah. so you can see how that would result i mean you can like basically this is one of those I, you could argue that uh, like many real nerds have had this experience, Sheldon is, while a caricature, while an over-the-top version, he, in this episode at least, where he's presented as a little more of a grounded version of it, he is a very sort of realistic, if heightened portrayal of a real nerd archetype, which is someone who has been bullied so often for um their nerdy interest that they still feel deep down like they're an inherently interesting person who deserves to be listened to and who people should want to listen to them and they crave that attention but they can't do anything to reach out for it like they're just incapable of asking people they're incapable of making a real attempt to like get other people to like them or be interested in the things that they are as sheldon i think says when he's talking to amy farrah fowler she's like shouldn't it be i'm the smart one i'm the interesting one shouldn't it be on them to make the effort to realize that right which is i think like a thing that um a lot of real nerds myself included that's a real feeling that we have felt in our lives oh yeah i i feel the same is uh i rule and anyone who doesn't get that is a, a, a tool bag. But also, I think um, there, there are two things that solidify what you're saying. And they, they, they make Sheldon, I think, for the first time, like a, a human sympathetic character, which is during his little breakdown when he, he plays his own mother and then starts going back and forth between not copyright, trademark young Sheldon, just the literally young Sheldon and, and his own mom is uh, he he starts whining about how awful it is just being smarter than everyone and not being able to help that and having people not understand him or think he's different because of that. Like, he's not trying to be overbearing or confrontational or anything like that. He's just like, this is just who I am and people don't get me. Ah, and that's a real bummer. And also, I like how even in his fantasy, he doesn't go too far-fetched where he, he wants Spock to whisk him away, where he won't get beat up by bullies as often. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I didn't notice that, but that's, that's I loved I loved point. that. Like, I, I, won't get, I won't get beat up as much. <laughs> and, yeah, it's... Uh, and just to, the thing that finally sort of breaks his heart is he realizes that even in this fantasy world where he would he would be so much happier, it would mean leaving his mother behind and theoretically never seeing her again, which in a sad sort of way is almost what's really happened to him. He's moved to California. He's obviously a better fit in California than he is in Texas, but he doesn't see his mother as often as he would like. Yeah. <sighs> we got some real shit just now. Some real Sheldon shit. I think this might be a good time to start transitioning to our nerdy thing of the week, but... Uh, anything else you want to cover before we, we go there, Kyle? 
Uh, yeah, so as you mentioned, this episode ends in a Bollywood number. Right. It made, it, I didn't, you know, I went back and forth about this. At first I was like, well, of course, it's Raj, so they have to make a Bollywood joke. But that's, you know, to be honest, sort of like what you said about other things. It's not really a joke. It's more like an affectionate homage. Like, there's no, like, other than the fact that it's an Indian person having a fantasy about a Bollywood musical number, there's mm-hmm. nothing really mean-spirited about the number itself or the way they do it. No. And so, and so, and if only because that's pr- kind of a bold move, I would imagine, expecting their audience demographic to understand even what the fuck is happening in that scene, I was like, well, that's well, that's kind of cool. Kyle, what you just said there, I think is if there is a joke, that would be it. Is that I think the general audience wouldn't understand what is happening and they would be laughing at the bizarreness of it. Um, yeah, because, but at the, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, because Bollywood uh, is something that has become not mainstream at all in the U.S., but I think that through the internet, through directors coming from, from Southeast Asia, uh, I think it's people are more aware of it, but like I probably would not have known. I've never watched a Bollywood movie, for instance, and I remember thinking it was kind of hilarious at the end of Slumdog Millionaire when there was a pretty earnest Bollywood scene. And for people who are not as cultured as I, <laughs> I think to to see that would have their minds blown and have no idea what it was a reference to. But as far as the scene itself goes, you are still right that there aren't any jokes in it. It is just Raj having an earnest uh, love fantasy about Bernadette just through his own cultural frame of reference. And yeah, and I think in that sense, that's, I mean, I don't think, I'm not sure there's anything wrong. with It's like when, you know, you know, when the Simpsons makes a, a musical theater reference or something like that, which they do often, it's like, you know, this joke may not land not everyone is going to get this reference but you know you're not really you're not necessarily taking the piss out of anyone's culture you're if anything you're exposing people to culture they wouldn't otherwise have a chance to be exposed to maybe maybe i'm giving them too many points for cultural diversity because it's still I, I, I think you're i think the big bang theory if anything has served as a bridge between different cultures to come together and embrace our our, our differences yeah sure <laughs> What's your nerd recommendation of the week? Good question. So I I don't really have much of a recommendation this week because I am so, so deep into Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. I'm oh, like I'm like seventy some hours now. in. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna oh. go into it. Uh it's just it's got me. And I'm I'm wondering if I should buy the expansion pass oh, to get even more of that that good good old school GRPG action. I got the Zekanator and you can you can play so you always have a team of of 3 people and by default I've played as the main character this entire time. I had no interest in playing the lead as any of the other characters. And as soon as I got Zeke, the Zekanator, uh he's my go-to now. So that's changed. Um but I will recommend a different video game because that is my life is outside of of work and you know cooking and and having makeouts with all of the babes that's always happening i have actually started playing 
the the Ring Fit Adventure on Switch, and it too is an RPG in that you get different gear that can increase your your stats, and you you have turn based battles, fitness based battles with enemies. But the reason I'm recommending it is because something that's always hard for me when I do exercise is I'm always very self-conscious about whatever it is I'm doing. I always feel silly just exercising for its own sake. Like whether that be be running, I'm like, oh God, people are going to see me out there just moving my body like an idiot. Ugh. Or like, I mean, anything. I'll, I could give a, a myriad examples, but like anything that's just for the purpose of exercise, I'm always incredibly self-conscious about it. But... Playing the game gives me enough distractions through traditional game mechanics that I just don't care as much. And so that's really nice. I I don't think about the fact, uh, at least not as intensely, that I'm bouncing in place and swinging my arms around and kicking my legs up and stuff. Because I gotta I gotta fight those those animated dumbbells. I've got to, I've got to take them out. And I gotta get that next treasure. That's all that matters. It's it's all about the grind. Yes, good for you, man. I think I I wanted to apologize. I gave you sort of joking shit you before. You shithead! You you ass! I wasn't. I I am really happy for you. It was more the joke of, of course, if Nick Hyde is going to exercise, it's going to be because he's found a video game that makes it into a video game. But you know what? Good for you, man. I'm so happy for you. Well, thank uh, you. But I'm going to keep mine short. That's it. It's it's fun. I enjoy it. All right. I am going to start mine off with a question. Uh-oh. So, Nick Hyde. Yes. Who is the most iconic, influential, important pop culture adventurer, treasure hunter, explorer of all time? Ooh, that's an excellent question. And I don't know the actual answer, but who comes to mind for me is... Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indiana Jones, you fucking rube. Oh. You idiot. You oh, I knew dumb it was a shit. Oh. What a. Oh, no. <laughs> Podcast over. My feelings. <laughs> I'm fucking with you. Um, obviously. Um, but I'm glad you said Indiana Jones. So, everybody, <laughs> without keeping the bit going, I think the answer, honest to God, is Scrooge McDuck. What? Oh, okay. All right. I will not. I will not hurt you like you did me. I am going to come at this with understanding, but I am not, nonetheless, going to express my obvious frustration. Explain yourself. Well, as you may, as you obviously do not know, in the nineteen and fifties and sixties, the most influential, best-selling comic book put out by Disney was the. I don't was the daring adventures of Scrooge McDuck. See today, Scrooge McDuck is mostly famous as the rich guy who is incredible, like his namesake Ebenezer Scrooge, who hoards money and swims in it, and basically has no redeeming qualities. That's sort of like the version of him I grew up in because I only ever saw him in the Disney adaptation of uh, a Christmas Carol, where he played Ebenezer Scrooge. So it was pretty, okay. it's pretty one sided portrayal of Ebenezer Scrooge which as, is why I was a big DuckTales fan as a kid I can't believe that you don't see him as the warm-hearted uncle of his three nephews but continue 
Well, I'm getting this is what I'm getting to. I was confused then when I saw like in like I found an old VHS of the DuckTales movie where he was like fighting fucking wizards and like summoning genies and shit. I was like, what is this? But then I found out in the Scrooge McDuck famously did not earn all of his money through capitalist exploitation. I mean, he probably did, but in but in the comics, at least, his initial fortune comes because he is just so goddamn good at treasure hunting. He goes to places like Atlantis and Cibola and mystical cities, and he gains their treasures, and he turns it into gold, and he works hard, and he, you know, he prospects, and he mines, and this was all set out in his comic books, which were all about Scrooge McDuck globetrotting, gaining his fortune. And this comic book series was later adapted, as you mentioned. I can hear you Googling this. Okay. Are you Googling Scrooge McDuck or something entirely different? I was, I was replying to a, a, a post by former guest Chloe. <laughs> Ah, fuck you. I, I literally, I literally got the Facebook notification. I'm glad we're nice. connected. Nice. So anyway, fuck me, I guess. But yeah, it got made into some of, so the adventures of Scrooge McDuck and the, and the larger McDuck family, which includes his nephew Donald and his two great nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, was the influence for the kick-ass late 80s cartoon series DuckTales, which I think many people will agree probably has the single greatest cartoon Saturday morning TV opening song of all it's, time. It's radical. It's memorable. It's catchy. It is. Woohoo-hoo. And um, also a pretty kick-ass video game. Um, Fantastic video game. I've been, <laughs> I've been like <laughs> champing at the bit for an excuse to bring that up and recommend that myself, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so in 2017... Oh, Sorry, I have to, as long as I'm talking about Indiana Jones, fun fact, George Lucas wrote the introduction to the graphic, to the hardcover graphic novel collection that came out in 1980, The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck. And in that, in that comic collection, there's a story called The Lost City of Cibola, wherein the Scrooge McDuck's arch enemies, the Bugle Boys, try to steal a treasure from a temple and when they lift the treasure off the pedestal a giant boulder runs down and nearly crushes them to death that comic i'm sorry but you said that their nemesis the, the bugle boys you sorry the bugle boys the bugle boys and not a, a group of of thugs uh, all wearing early 90s moderate to low branded uh jeans would that be that weirder but you know you're right it is the beagle boys they're all beagles anyway they almost get crushed by a rolling boulder and george lucas has acknowledged that yes of course this entire sequence is the inspiration for the opening of raiders of the lost ark so indiana jones inspired by scrooge mcduck nice mind blown anyway all of this was just my way to say I've never seen that much of the original DuckTales cartoon. It was just a little bit early for me. Like, that particular show came out just a little bit before, like, my being old enough. But the 2017 DuckTales reboot is fucking fantastic. It is every goddamn thing you could want from a... It is not just good by the standards of children's television. It is just something that anyone who has a shred of warmth in their heart should watch. It is like the quintessential all-ages action adventure comedy family 
storytelling romp and i have watched all of the first season and most of the second and i love every goddamn second of it it is it has just become overnight like my favorite thing on tv it's on disney plus it's probably you can find it other places but it 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 takes all of that backstory that i talked about and it just foregrounds it it's like basically you know, Donald, Huey, Dewey, and Louie move in with Uncle Scrooge and they immediately get embroiled on all of these globetrotting adventures where they, like, you know, fight mummies and demons and ghosts. And in between, they, like, have, you know, these heartfelt family drama moments where they have to explore, like, why is, you know, why does Uncle Scrooge have such a hard time opening up his emotions? You know? Oh, no. No, I don't want that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what Huey, Dewey, and Louie are triplets, but what are the things that really make them separate individuals as is, opposed to three rhyming gag characters? Is they each Magicka their... Dispel back? Magicka Dispel is the like sexy a... duck? She is a huge deal. Like, her her overarching plan to get revenge on the ducks forms the entire, like... Like, the whole first season has an arc that culminates in Magicka Dispel's evil evil plan to resurrect herself from, you know, the nether realm in which she has been trapped. So there's all of that. There's the brutal and heartbreaking mystery of what happened to Huey, Dewey, and Louie's mom. Because, like, as part of the backstory that we get ever-increasing glimpses of, basically part of it is, like I said, Scrooge McDuck is a world famous globetrotting adventurer and at the start of the story he hasn't spoken to donald duck in like 10 years but once upon a time donald duck was basically scrooge's sidekick and they traveled the world together and donald duck i swear to god i now really believe is the single most badass fictional character in existence like, he has incredible bad luck, and he still has all of the comic hijinks, but basically, you don't come for Donald's family. Like, there are multiple instances where, like, the the nephews are in danger, and Donald Duck is like, oh no, you fuck with Huey, Dewey, and Louie, I am going to fuck you up so bad, like, your ancestors will feel it. I don't care. Like, I don't care if you, like, he literally fights demigods, he's like, keep your hands off my kids. There's, like, a whole joke bit where, um, he, they, like, one of the other characters fixes his voice box and um, he all of a sudden he has the voice of uh, who's that? Oh, what's that guy's name? What's that very famous actor's name who I'm blanking on? Just a second. Who does what? Okay, while you're looking that up, I am going to, I just, I looked up Magicka Dispel, okay? Just that search term. No, no other words. Magicka Dispel. And yes. I was scrolling through the images and I was like, all right, this is a sexy duck. And then I got down to um, a search result that is Scrooge McDuck sitting pretty happily, snugly, tucked in, cushioned, uh, enveloped, you could say, um, by Magic Dispel's gigantic butt cheeks. And this is titled Giant Magic Dispel's Butt Tales with Story by Request. (laughs) So that's... That again, no I just Google Magic of Dispel, no no other things on it. Scroll down not that far in the search results. So that must be a very popular story. I'm going to see if that's canon. Have you have you found your person yet? Yeah, Don Cheadle. So there's an episode where Donald Duck has Don Cheadle's voice and you can actually understand everything he says. And it turns out Donald is very badass. It's like a great like little joke. There's so many. It's such a well-written and warm-hearted show and it's shot through with all of these references like I said to like this classic 
like ancient by modern standards like Disney comic book lore and also all of these uh all of these references to like the early 90s Disney continuity that I kind of had forgotten existed but there's like there are like references to like uh Goof Troop and the Goofy movie and uh Tailspin and uh I swear to god there's a whole episode that revolves around a magic alchemical potion that you realize halfway through is the fucking gummy juice from the show Gummy Bears also a great theme song Yes, and it's like, wow, this show is just, it's its constantly firing on all cylinders, it's constantly, like, doing amazing things with, like, a huge cast of, a huge ensemble of fun characters, you know, telling stories in different genres and everything, I just cannot recommend it enough. Oh, David Tennant is the voice of uh, Scrooge McDuck, which is a pretty good, pretty good pull, but all of the voice actors are incredible, they're all, like, incredibly... Like, you know, Danny Pudi is on there. Jim Rash plays Gyro Gearloose, the eccentric inventor who is constantly swearing that this robot he built, he has just built, is not going to turn evil and betray humanity like all of the other robots that he's built. And, Perfect. of course, he is, he is always wrong. Ah. Um, although he does invent Gizmo Duck. So Gizmo Duck is back, if you remember Darkwing Duck. Oh, Pretty I remember. Sh- well, Gizmo is part of the, the regular DuckTales series, as well as the, the Blabber and Blatherskype's code word to turn him yeah. on. Well, yes. So he he is back. Lunchpad, Launchpad is back. Launchpad the quack! Yes. They all, they all, and without getting too far into it, but that whole, the moon is very important to the show. There is a whole moon like is like like the special secret password to the show for like a lot of the first and second season is just it turns out it all has to do with the moon all right do they ever make reference to the incredible piece of music from the they 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 absolutely do and in fact at one point they sing it and you learn it has words oh oh okay i'm not ready for that but we'll see we'll see i don't know i i really don't want to give disney any money but i might have to get a plus subscription for a little bit to check this out. I had no idea the show even existed. I knew that the the game remake came out a few years ago and got like mixed reviews. I didn't know there was a, a series reboot. Yes. I I had heard I had been hearing for a long time that it was like actually secretly one of the best things on television, but I but I was like you, I was like but it's, you know, it's DuckTales, you know. I'm sure it's good, but it's not like I'm a even as a grown man uh, you know, who is very nerdy. I just doubt it's in my demographic, right? But yeah. I, like, watched the first two episodes. I was like, God damn it. I am hooked for life on this shit. Right. Um, it is very similar in that sense to, like, I think one of the things that it reminds me the most of is that, like, there was a certain point where, like, American kitty comics and Japanese kitty comics were on the same level. Like in Japan, they were making things like Astro Boy, and in America, we had Scrooge McDuck. And at some point, I don't know exactly what happened, but like Japan got like super anime and they went in a lot of different directions, like both more mature and more horny. But they basically, they kept ticking up in quality, and American comic books and animation sort of stagnated for a long time now i do feel like in the last decade they've gotten good like we've definitely gotten to the same level like where we make stuff that's of the same quality as the stuff that they make in japan but it took us forever to do it and we kind of had to go like a circuitous route so like the great thing about ducktales 
which has all of these references to like anime and classic film and everything else is it like feels like it's ported in from some other universe where it was just like no there were always cartoon shows made in america by american animation studios that were as good as like the stuff that you were getting in japan and it's just you can live in that universe now and it's great I mean, you you say that they were the same quality. I remember, though, the first time I saw Vampire Hunter D as a, as a ute and, and saw some sort of monster that, had, that showed me its boobies. And I was like, this is obviously a superior culture. This is – I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, well, now, now I, I, I got have... gene among my own people. Now you can have Magicka Dispels butt tails, so – Oh, yeah. can I? Oh, boy. It all comes. It all comes full circle. I realize that on a human, not necessarily not on a duck, but for certainly on a human, magic and dispel is my ideal aesthetic and a partner. That's that's who I'm. Who I'm after? Uh, a gothic warlock lady. Yeah, yeah. You know, with a little bit of purple in there. With the the, the she she she's saucy. She's sassy. She's brassy. She don't take no shit. Sure. How do you feel about Raven from the Team Titans? Because I feel like that's a very similar aesthetic. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. Still, Magicka, Magicka over Raven. Maybe I just don't have enough familiarity. I guess Magicka is much more out and like bold and like, I'm going to curse your whole family, McDuck. Yeah, she's fun. That's important, too. You know, She is fun. I, you, who wants one of these? In a crazy, murderous sort of way. Yeah, I don't, I don't need some goth babe that is so dark and mysterious that they... they completely go within themselves you know i want i want someone that is is out there to to fuck shit up for the dark lord that's my jam you know you were talking about religion earlier yeah and i and like how halloween is your thing i was like i wonder what my thing but i will say anyone who doesn't like if if like it's okay if you don't know it but if someone starts singing the ducktales theme song and you don't even like that shit i do think that you're probably some kind of pod person yeah that's a big thing that's for, for someone who has never heard the DuckTales theme or have any familiarity with the show DuckTales should nonetheless, upon instinct when they first hear it, bop their head. And if they don't, you, you know that they're, you're right, they're a pod person and they need to be eliminated. And similarly, if you, know, if you want a good time, just go on YouTube and look up the song The Moon from the DuckTales oh, NES game, which so is just... Good. Like, it is... It is arguably the single greatest piece of NES composition that, like, I mean, it is just amazing when you hear it for the first time. I, 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 because I had never played that game, so until I was an adult, I didn't hear it. And the first time I heard it, I was like, Jesus Christ, they, this was composed for, like, an 8-bit engine? This is amazing. Yeah, it's great. And, again, a good game. You should play that game if you haven't. And probably the original and not. I keep waiting for them to port it to the fucking Switch. I don't... This seems like a, a slam dunk, and they haven't yet. Why don't just, like, get a ROM? Get, get a ROM. Hey, hey, Kyle. Why don't you just steal things? Come on, steal them. Steal whatever you want. It's just data, man. The man can't lock down information. The man can't lock down access to art. Just steal it. 